Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you so much for joining me here today. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and also upload the video version onto YouTube on Wednesdays as well and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, one thing I do want to mention before we get started is I am getting over some sort of cold, some sort of sickness. So if my voice sounds a little off this week, I do apologize, but I think we will be just fine by next week. But if there is a different tone in my voice, if you notice it sounds a little different, if I'm breathing different, that is why. But regardless, that is not why we are here today. As you can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the unsolved case of Brittany McClone. Now, this case is unsolved, technically. It is a case that is surely going to frustrate you. It is a case of a lot of he said, she said. It's a case of a lot of confusion. And because of that, this case to this day has remained unsolved, which is why I wanted to bring it to your attention today. It is one that I'm very interested to hear your opinion on. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Brittany McClone was born on November 9th of 1987 to her parents, Ron and Patricia. Brittany was born in New Mexico, but grew up in the small town of Winsboro, Texas, where the population is just about 3,400 people. Now, the people that live in Winsboro have lived there for a long time. They've raised their kids there, and this is a town where everyone knows everyone. It's incredibly tight-knit. Now, Brittany's parents met right after Patricia had graduated from high school, and the two of them got married in 1985. They had two children together, Ryan, who was Brittany's older brother, as well as Brittany. Now, her parents did end up separating when Brittany was very, very young, and Brittany went on to live with her mother. Brittany and her mom had the dream mother-daughter relationship. They were incredibly close. They were said to be the best of friends. And as Brittany got older, both Ron and Patricia went on to marry new people, and they had more kids. So Brittany and Ryan had a growing family on both sides with lots of siblings, and all of Brittany's siblings have memories of Brittany with staying up late at their grandparents' house, watching TV, playing video games, running around outside playing. She had a very joyful childhood when it came to her siblings. Now, growing up, Brittany was known to be a little bit more quiet and reserved, but regardless, she always had a smile on her face and she was always kind to everyone. Growing up, Brittany was pretty much known to be the golden child. Her mom actually describes it as Brittany was the one that she never had to worry about because Brittany was always responsible. She was always doing the right thing. She was always showing up on time. She was always calling her mom to let her know where she was, what she was doing. Her mom never had to worry about Brittany, and that started all the way from when Brittany was a young child. 
Brittany was also incredibly smart. She graduated as an honor student from Winsboro High School in 2006 with plans to start nursing school in fall 2007. And until then, she was living at home with her mom, working two jobs. One of her jobs was at Elko, and another one was at a Lowe's distribution center in Mount Vernon. Now, again, Brittany was a very responsible and reliable person, and that carried over into her two jobs. Elko was her day job, and she would work overnights at the Lowe's distribution center. Now, it was through working at Elko that Brittany actually met her first boyfriend named Jeff. Brittany and Jeff met in November of 2006, and Jeff was the son of Brittany's boss. So you had Devery, who was Brittany's boss at Elko, and Devery had her son Jeff, and that is how Jeff and Brittany met. Now, right off the bat, from the very beginning, Brittany's family was not thrilled with Brittany's decision to date Jeff. It was actually the first decision out of her entire life that her family didn't necessarily agree with. Brittany's family wanted her to be with someone who had the same zest of life that she did, who brought excitement into her life. They had a perfect picture of the type of person that they wanted Brittany to end up with, and Jeff was not that. Brittany's family really just felt like Jeff brought Brittany down more than anything, and after about six months of them dating, Jeff broke up with Brittany, which left Brittany absolutely heartbroken, and even though Brittany's family was sad to see Brittany in such pain, it definitely gave them hope that she could now find someone that they felt truly deserved her. Now, it didn't take long after Brittany and Jeff broke up that the contact between them started up again. Again, Winsboro is a very small town, so the opportunity to go out and meet new people in a small town like that was pretty limited. And along with that, Brittany was head over heels for Jeff. She was in love with Jeff. Even though her family did not approve and they felt like she deserved someone better, it didn't matter to Brittany because this was who she was in love with. Now, as I've said multiple times at this point, Brittany was a very responsible person. She was very punctual. And along with that, she was also very structured. She had the same routine most days. Most days when Brittany would go to her overnight shift at Lowe's, she would go to her shift, get off in the very early hours of the morning, go home, shower, and take a long nap before figuring out what the rest of her day was going to look like, whether that was social activities or whether she had to go to her Alco job. However, that is what her day typically looked like when it came to her Lowe's distribution job. Now, on May 3rd, 2007, Brittany actually broke this routine. Brittany told her mom that she would not be coming home right after work as she normally did, but instead, she was going to go over to Jeff's house directly after work. Now, again, this wasn't something that Brittany had done before, as she would usually go to Jeff's house later in the afternoons, but Patricia trusted Brittany. And although she didn't like Jeff and didn't want her to go, Brittany was an adult who could make her own choices. So the two of them said, I love you, and Brittany drove off to work, not knowing that this would be the last time that the two of them would see each other. Now, the following day was May 4th, 2007, and this is when Patricia gets a phone call. When she answers the phone, it is Jeff on the other end of the line, and Jeff asks Patricia if he knew where Brittany was. Now, immediately, 
mother's instinct kicked in and Patricia knew that something was wrong. She hung up the phone with Jeff and started dialing Brittany's number over and over again. However, each time the call went to voicemail. Now, Jeff actually called Patricia while he was on his way back from Dallas. He was in Dallas, Texas with his mom and his stepdad visiting his grandma. Now, apparently, Jeff had told Patricia that on the morning of Friday, May 4th, he had gone with his mom and stepdad to visit his grandma in Dallas, Texas. When he left, Brittany was asleep in his bed, and he figured that she had gotten up and gone home shortly after after he left. However, when he was calling her several times and got no answer, that is when he called Patricia. However, things changed when later that day, the 911 operators received a phone call from Devery, Jeff's mom. When she gets on the phone with the 911 operators, she tells them that they need an ambulance right away because her son's girlfriend, Brittany, is dead in his bed. She told the operator that her, her husband, and Jeff had all been out for the day visiting Jeff's grandma in Dallas, and when they got home, they found Brittany dead in his bed. Now, immediately, police arrive on the scene, and it's important to understand the structure of this house when talking about this case. So Jeff lived in a home with his mom, his stepdad, his younger sister, and himself. There was a main portion of the house and then a little side room that was also connected to the house, however, was separate. It was almost like its own separate studio bedroom. Now, the studio bedroom was where Jeff lived, and Jeff's bedroom was the only bedroom that had a separate entrance. So you were able to access Jeff's bedroom just from the outside, unlike the rest of the house where you would have to walk through the front door, go through the main home, and then find your bedroom through that way. Jeff's bedroom was a lot easier of access. Now, when police arrive, they walk into Jeff's bedroom and they find Brittany laying face up on the bed with no clothes on. And it was clear that Brittany had been brutally attacked and murdered. There was a lot of blood on the pillowcases and on the sheets, and it appeared as if Brittany experienced some type of head trauma. It looked as if someone had repeatedly hit her in the head with a heavy object. Along with that, all of Brittany's clothes were laying right next to the bed. Now, when looking around the room, police notice that pretty much everything appeared to be in its normal state. There was no signs of forced entry. Nothing looked robbed or ransacked. But something that they did notice is that it appeared as if someone had recently used the shower in Jeff's bathroom. This was because there was still water dripping off the shower head and into the drain. So police removed the shower curtain and they swabbed the shower drain for any potential DNA evidence. Now, an autopsy was performed on Brittany and it was determined that Brittany's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. And it also appeared that there was no sexual assault that had taken place. Now, once police were able to positively identify Brittany, that is when they had to go to Patricia's home and tell her the news about how her daughter had been found murdered. Now, immediately upon hearing this news, Patricia claimed that she knew exactly who killed her daughter and that that person was Jeff. 
Patricia went on to tell police the story of Jeff and Brittany, how they had this on and off relationship, and how three weeks ago they had called it off for good. Now, she also went on to say that during those three weeks that Brittany and Jeff weren't together, Brittany had actually been with another man during that time. And for one reason or another, Brittany felt the need to tell Jeff about this encounter that she had had, and Patricia felt like that was the motive behind her daughter's death. So immediately after hearing this, police decide that they want to bring Jeff in for an interview. Not only did they want to speak to him because of the relationship that he had with Brittany, but also Brittany's body was found in Jeff's home, in Jeff's bed. So they knew they needed to speak to him right away. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. So Jeff met police down at the station for an interview, and in this interview, he told them that on May 3rd, 2007, he had told Brittany that she should come over earlier to his house instead of later. He explained to police that Brittany's normal schedule was coming over to his house in the afternoons after she had taken a nap from her overnight shift at Lowe's, but this time it was different because Jeff knew that he had to go with his family to see his grandma and that he wouldn't be home until later in the day and he wanted to be able to spend some time with Brittany beforehand so that is why he proposed the idea of her coming over earlier in the morning whenever she got off of her Lowe's shift. Jeff went on to claim that Brittany arrived at his home at approximately 5 a.m. At that time, Jeff had already fallen asleep on the couch, but when Brittany walked in, she woke him up and the two of them moved to his bed. Jeff claimed that when Brittany went to sleep that night, she was wearing a oversized t-shirt and underwear. However, again, when Brittany's body was discovered, she was found completely undressed. 
Jeff told police that him and Brittany slept an additional two hours until approximately 7 a.m. when he woke up, took a shower, and got ready to go see his grandma, all while Brittany remained sleeping in his bed. He claimed that him and his family left their house at around 9 a.m., and he assumed that whenever Brittany was woken up, she would go home and the two of them would reconnect later in the day. However, obviously, that was not the case. So while Jeff was painting this picture for police and he told them that he woke up at seven, he took a shower, and then he was just waiting around for his family to get in the car and head out. Now, during this waiting period, he claimed that him and his stepfather were out in the front yard working on their car. He claimed that during that time, Jeff's sister's boyfriend, a man named Chad Carr, pulled up into the driveway. Chad told Jeff that he was there to pick up a check, and Jeff told him that they were leaving to go see his grandma and that Brittany was still in the room asleep. So Jeff tells police that Chad was aware that Brittany was sleeping in the bed. He then claims that after a short conversation, both Chad and himself, along with his family, got into their separate cars and drove out of the driveway. Jeff then told investigators that he returned home at approximately 3.30 p.m., and that is when they discovered Brittany. Jeff told police that he was the one to find Brittany's body when he walked into his room and saw her in his bed. He claimed that when he discovered her body, he ran over to her, shaking her and yelling at her to wake up. Now, when Jeff was explaining his timeline to police, it was clear to them that he was very, very emotional and was exhibiting signs of someone who had been through trauma. During his interview, Jeff was crying and he was getting very choked up when talking about this entire experience. And I mentioned that because there are a lot of times that we see in certain cases where certain people aren't emotional or they are emotional and it can definitely either raise suspicion or lessen suspicion based off of their reaction to a case like this. Now, police also decided to bring up to Jeff the sexual encounter that Brittany had had while the two of them were broken up. And even though Jeff claimed that he wasn't thrilled to be hearing that Brittany was with someone else, he explained to police that it was quote unquote fair game because the two of them were not together and they were consistently breaking up, getting back together. They had a very on and off relationship. And so he knew that he couldn't necessarily be mad at Brittany for that, even though he wasn't ecstatic about it by any means. Now, Jeff also went on to tell police that Chad Carr was not the only person who was supposed to be at Jeff's house that day. Jeff went on to say that on May 4th, he was expecting a marijuana delivery to his house from a friend of his named Cody. He claimed that Cody was supposed to be coming by his house to drop off a bag of weed for him. Now, Jeff said that the money that he was leaving for Cody for this weed was being placed under a gnome statue that was right in front of the entryway As I mentioned, Jeff had a separate entrance into his bedroom, so there was this gnome statue and money underneath it. Now, Jeff claimed that he did not tell Cody that Brittany was in his bedroom. However, he did say that when he got home and looked under the statue, the money that he had left for Cody was gone, but the weed was not there. So the money was gone, but there was no weed. 
So he explained that to police as well. Now, Jeff's clothing was all taken in to a forensic lab to see if there was any type of DNA or blood evidence on his clothing. And he also agreed to do a polygraph test. Now, because Winsboro is such a small town, it took a couple days to get a polygraph examiner into Winsboro to conduct these tests. Now, while waiting for this examiner, the police decide that they were going to go through each person that was at Jeff's house that day and interview them. And so that list began with Chad Carr, Jeff's sister's boyfriend. So they brought in Chad and spoke to him. And according to police, Chad was very standoffish and you could tell that he did not want to be speaking with detectives. He told detectives that that day after he picked up the check, he went and had a meeting with his boss. After having a meeting with his boss, he then went to the eye doctor and then went to his aunt's house where he was living, all before picking up Jeff's sister, Velva, his girlfriend from school. Now, mind you, Chad was 25 and Velva was in high school. I just feel like that's important to note in all of this. But regardless, Chad said that after he picked up Velva from school, the two of them spent the afternoon together and that was it. When speaking to police, Chad also agreed to take a polygraph test. So now police have spoken to Jeff, they spoke to Chad, and now they needed to speak to Cody. So police now bring in Cody, and when speaking with Cody, interestingly enough, even though the money that Jeff claimed that he left for Cody was gone, Cody claimed that he never went over to Jeff's house. Cody said that Jeff was texting him so much that day that he honestly just felt annoyed. So annoyed to the point where he texted Jeff telling him that he had already dropped off the weed just to get Jeff to stop texting him. However, Cody claimed that he never physically went over to Jeff's house that day. He never picked up the money. He never dropped off the weed. He claimed he simply texted Jeff just for the reason of he wanted to be left alone. So very interesting there because regardless, the money was still gone. So it just raises a couple more questions. Now, here is where another very horrific piece of information comes into play in this case, and that is when one of Brittany's sisters named Hope came forward and spoke to Brittany's mom, Patricia. Hope was Brittany's sister on her dad's side, so she was Brittany's half-sister from her dad's second marriage. And when Hope came to Patricia, she let Patricia in on a very big secret that Brittany had only recently told her at Hope's 16th birthday party. According to Hope, Brittany had confided in her by telling her that their grandfather, so their paternal grandfather named James McClone, had been sexually abusing her since Brittany was a child. Brittany also told Hope that James had only recently stopped with the abuse. However, she did also say that Brittany felt like James was following her in the weeks leading up to her murder. She felt like James had been showing up at places that Brittany was at, and Brittany felt like this was because James was afraid that Brittany was going to reveal what he had done to her. 
Now, Brittany had made Hope promise that she would not tell anyone about her secret. So that is why it wasn't until after she was murdered that Hope came forward with this information and brought it to police. However, when police looked into James, they noticed that he did have an alibi. Jeff was at work between 7 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. on the day of May 4th. So now it has been approximately a week since Brittany's murder and the polygraph examiner has finally touched down in Winsboro to conduct the tests. Now there were three tests given, one to Jeff, one to Chad, and one to Cody. Now Jeff was the first to take the test and surprisingly enough, he passed with flying colors. Police claimed that there was no sign of deception on Jeff's test whatsoever. Then it was time for Cody to take the test, and he also passed with flying colors and no sign of deception. Then it was time for Chad to take the test, and when Chad took the test, it showed a hundred percent deception. Now specifically, there was a hundred percent deception on two very, very pointed questions. The first one was, did you cause any of the injuries to Brittany? And the second one was, did you have anything to do with the death of Brittany? Both of those questions, Chad answered no. However, again, 100% deception. Now, when police told Chad that he had failed the polygraph test, Chad just denied everything. He said that there was no way he could have possibly done this because he already gave police his timeline of events, he gave them his alibi, and there was no way he could have done it. But police, obviously, at this point, were not as sure. So at this point, they really are looking at Chad as their primary suspect, and they decided that they not only wanted to look into Chad's alibi, and his timeline, but they also looked at his criminal history. Now, when they looked into Chad's criminal history, they found that he had a long history of assaulting women. One of the assaults turned out so bad that the woman received three staples in her skull to close the injury that Chad had given her. Police noted that the majority of these assaults were a cause of blunt force trauma. So Chad would hit these women with some sort of heavy object over the head, which lined up with Brittany's cause of death. Now, Chad did end up going to prison for these assaults on these women. However, obviously, he was released. So now police decide that they want to look into Chad's house. They want to see if there was any physical evidence that could connect Chad to the crime. Now, when they do that, they start going through his room, going through his drawers, going into his dresser. And when they do, they are shocked to discover clothes that appear to have blood stains on them. The clothes included a pair of Chad's shorts, a shirt, as well as a ski mask that was all uncovered in Chad's dresser. But not only that, there were also two pairs of women's underwear found in the drawer as well. One of these pairs was a size 7 and the other was a size 
five. Now, the size seven was confirmed to be Velva's, his girlfriend. However, there was no explanation for the size five. Chad actually refused to share with police where he received that pair from or who they belonged to. However, police did go to Patricia and asked her what size underwear Brittany wore, and she confirmed that Brittany also wore a size five. Now, interestingly enough, the one thing that was missing out of Brittany's clothes that were left on the floor in Jeff's room was her underwear. Police found her shirt. They found her pants, socks, shoes, all of it. The one thing that was missing and never recovered was her underwear. So now police really wanted to look into Chad's alibi. Chad was living with his aunt at the time, like I mentioned, so he claimed, according to him, he woke up at his aunt's house and took Velva to school. Velva had spent the night with him at his aunt's house. He woke up, took Velva to school before going to his construction job. He then claimed he went to Jeff's house at around 8, 8.30 a.m. to pick up a check that was for Velva, and this was, again, confirmed by Jeff. Jeff was the one who initially told police about this. Chad then claimed that after leaving Jeff's house, he went to an Alco store right around 9.20 a.m., which was confirmed by video surveillance. Chad claimed that after visiting the store, he then went to an eye doctor appointment at 10 a.m. Now, Chad actually told police that he was early for this appointment. He claimed that he got to his appointment 15 minutes early. His appointment started at 10 a.m. He got there 15 minutes early. That would put him there at approximately 9.45 a.m. Now, police wanted to confirm this by speaking with the people who worked at the optometrist office. And when they did, they learned that not only was Chad not 15 minutes early to this appointment, he was actually 20 minutes early late to the appointment. The office claimed that Chad had called them to tell them that he was having car troubles and would be running a little bit behind schedule. Now again, the Alco store showed Chad leaving at 9.20 a.m., but he didn't get to the optometrist office until 10.20, which means there is an hour of unaccounted time. Now, this is a small town, and it does not take long to get from point A to point B. And in fact, just to give you a point of reference, to get from Alco to Jeff's house is only 6 minutes. Now, Jeff's house to the optometrist is only five minutes, and Jeff's house from Chad's house is only about 12 minutes. So there is a lot that could have been done in this one hour, if you really think about it. I know a lot of us, if we live in places where it takes 30 minutes to drive to one place or 25 minutes to drive to another, 45, whatever it is, we can't fathom, you know, getting a lot done in an hour period. But this is a very, very short distance. Everything is very, very close to each other. It does not take long. So now Chad gets brought down to the police station for a second time. This is his second round of questioning, and police confront Chad about lying, about being early to his optometrist appointment, and not only was he not early, he was 20 minutes late. Now, according to Chad, he said that he did not remember 
He didn't remember being late to the appointment. He also said that he didn't remember why he lied about having car troubles, and he claimed he didn't remember why he lied about being early. He just kept saying he didn't remember. He had no answer for anything. He didn't know. He didn't remember. However, he was continuing to be very, very confident in the fact that he had nothing to do with Britney's death. He kept saying that he didn't know anything, but the one thing he did know was that he didn't kill Britney. And along with that, he was very, very confident in the fact that police were not going to find any DNA on the scene that linked him to Brittany. And at that point, he was right. They had no evidence against him, so they had to let him go. Now, shortly after this, police did get back the DNA evidence results, and they learned that all of the DNA evidence that they had collected on the scene were either linked back to someone who lived in Jeff's house, so his stepfather, his sister, his mom, or Jeff himself. And along with that size five pair of underwear, there was no DNA on those anywhere either, which led police to believe that those had been already ran through the wash, that that Chad had already put them in the washing machine and got rid of any potential DNA on them by the time police had found them. So now we are at months of this investigation. We have one month, two months, three months, all the way up to eight months after Brittany's murder. And this is when police get a surprising phone call from Chad's girlfriend and Jeff's younger sister, Velva. Now, Velva told them that she had some interesting insight that she wanted to tell police. Because she was underage, her mom had to go with her, so the two of them drove down to the station together and sat down with detectives. Now, at this point during this meeting, Chad and Velva had already broken up, so they were no longer together. But when they sat down, Velva showed the lieutenant, Lieutenant Tucker, a typed out list of the things that she remembered from around the time of Brittany's murder. Velva stated that on the day of the murder, when Chad picked her up from school that afternoon, she could tell that Chad was extremely nervous and just not acting like himself. She said he was acting funny. She also said that Chad Chad had smelled like he had recently taken a shower and she remembered the scent because it was the same scent that she used at home. The reason she claimed to remember this is because she said that the scent that was coming off Chad reminded her of the soap that was used in her house. Now again, remember when police arrived on the scene originally, they noticed that the shower had recently been used. So little things like that are starting to come to light in this conversation. Velva even remembered asking Chad in the car if he had taken a shower that day, and he responded with yes. Now, because she was familiar with the scent, Velva asked him if he took a shower at her house. However, he just didn't respond. Now, this is when Velva and her mom explained to detectives that Chad had a very growing frustration with Velva's parents because Chad did not like the fact that Jeff's girlfriend, Brittany, was allowed to sleep over at the house, but Chad was not afforded that same leisure. So Velva and Jeff's parents allowed Brittany to sleep over, but not their high school daughter's boyfriend who was 25 years old. They didn't want Chad spending the night at their house, but they allowed Brittany to spend the night at the house. However, according to Chad, when he would talk to Velva about this, he couldn't rationalize in his brain why her parents would not allow him to sleep over. He didn't think it was fair, and he grew a lot of anger towards this. And according to Velva and her mom, they thought that this was a possible motive for Chad to take out his anger. 
And because this anger of his had seemingly snowballed over the months leading up to Britney's murder, they thought it was very possible that because Chad had already known that Britney was sleeping and that no one else was going to be at the house, he could have possibly gone back to the house when no one was there and murdered her. Now, with this new information, police take all of this to the DA and want to arrest Chad. However, the DA denied it because they claimed that there was not enough DNA or physical evidence linking Chad to the murder. Now, several years later in 2012, Chad actually went back to prison for felony sexual assault and was sentenced to eight years. Now, in that same year, 2012, Jeff's house, which was the crime scene of the murder, was also demolished and took any DNA evidence that it had with it. Now, after a while, this case ultimately went cold, and it was really disappointing for Brittany's family and friends who just wanted to get justice and just wanted answers. It was even more infuriating when Chad got released from prison in early 2021 and relocated to Dallas. Now, things changed in the year 2021 because not only was Chad released, but there was also a new sheriff named Kelly Cole who took over as the sheriff for Woods County. And he decided to take another look at this case. And this would be the fifth sheriff to have looked into Brittany's case. Now, at this point, Sheriff Cole really decided to work from the ground up and look at everything from start to finish. Even though there wasn't any physical evidence, Sheriff Cole and his team really believed that there was enough probable cause to link Chad to the murder of Brittany. So on August 31st, 2021, an arrest warrant was obtained for Chad Carr for the capital murder of Brittany McClone. And on September 1st, the very next day, Chad was officially arrested. Now, at this point, this is where things get a little dicey. So at this point, prosecution had 90 days to present their case to a grand jury or Chad was going to be released. And the days just kept on passing. 30 days passed, 60 days passed, 70 days passed, 89 days passed. And everyone was starting to really worry that Chad was never going to be taken to trial. The family wasn't getting any sort of answers despite their consistent calls and messages left to the DA. And unfortunately, once the jury was presented with the evidence in this case, they determined that there was not enough evidence to indict Chad Carr for the murder of Brittany, so he was released. Now, as you can imagine, everyone was absolutely heartbroken and devastated. So with Chad's release, that really is where we are in this case. Police are still actively searching for a new piece of DNA that'll be the smoking gun to this case and put all of the pieces together. And it still is an open case that police are continuing to work on. But that, you guys, is where we are at in this case, unfortunately. I know it's it's such a hard ending because when you're so close and you think that you're going to get the answers and you think that you're going to get the justice and then that just gets ripped out from underneath you. You can imagine how devastating that was for Brittany's family, but there still are a lot of unanswered questions in this case. I think from the very beginning, there's unanswered questions. I would say for me, I think the questions that I have in this case start from the very beginning about when Chad called Patricia, but despite all of that, there still are a lot of unanswered questions in this case, and I'm very curious to see what you guys have to say about it, where you lie in this case. Are you convinced that Chad is responsible for this? 
Or are you convinced that it could possibly be someone else? Do you still think that Jeff has a little responsibility in this? So I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about it. So please let me know in the comments below. But with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Before you head out, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new one. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys.